Hour number two of the show here on your Friday. Matt and Patrick, 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We're just going to talk to the guy until he's tired of talking. Paul Metze is kind enough to join us today. Uh, of course, a troubadour extraordinaire, great musician, a Minnesotan's Minnesotan. And of course, you can listen to Wall of Power Radio Hour one, Saturday night, 6 p.m. right here on AM 950. Joining us from his palatial compound. Are you up in Duluth right now? I am in my living room, uh, awaiting to talk to my favorite daytime radio host, Mr. Matt McNeil on AM 950. Oh, oh, I thought it was going to be someone else. Oh, great. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Uh, How have you been, my friend? Oh, I've been good. I was up in your territory last night. I played a gig, uh, uh, kind of featured in my book, Alphabet Jazz, at the Esquagama Country Club. And the last time I was there... A handful of years ago, I was honored to play at a memorial for your father, Charles. Yeah. And you said you name-dropped my dad up there. Did they still dropped him. Oh, wow. Yes, and he got a nice uh, round of recognition. I need to tell uh, your listeners, Matt, about uh, your dad's sense of humor. Uh, your dad was good friends with a fellow named John Pasternak, who, play, yeah. who still plays with me in Cats and the Stars. And the Pasternakis grew up around the Squagama, and he was good friends with your dad, Charles. And he bumped into your dad, oh, I don't know, I guess it was six or seven years ago at a Rolling Stones concert <laughs> in Minneapolis. Yes. And he, he said, Charlie, because I had no idea you're, you're a Rolling Stones fan. And your dad said, damn, I thought this was the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's pure comedy gold. My my mom was a huge is and still is a huge Rolling Stones fan. And my dad, of course, you know, got dragged around to all the concerts, but he didn't mind it. There, he, my dad was, uh, you know, he liked Willie Nelson. He liked uh, he liked uh, Randy Newman. He likes the, that sort of thing. Uh, kind of you know, and you know, and of course, you know, just you know, he was always he was always quick witted, which was always fun. I, I might have picked a little bit of that up for him. Well, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree, does it? Well, it was funny. I did go to, uh, I don't even know if you know this artist, Rex Orange County. Do you know who that is? No, I don't. Nor did I. But apparently everyone who's under the age of 20 in this country does. And I was right. over. I was over at the armory to see that show. I was literally the. I mean, cons- the, even the staff was younger than me. I was by oh, far yeah. the oldest man in that crowd, and I. It, it wasn't bad. It was just I. I really did feel out of, out of place. My dad never did. He always went out there and enjoyed it. Everything he did. Well, bless him. You know, it's funny you should mention that, Matt. A couple weeks ago, uh, I had a woman. She was ninety three. She had since passed. But uh, she grew up, she spent some time in Virginia, knew my mother. She saw that great article that John Bream did about me in the variety section in the strip a couple of months ago and called me to play at the Seniors Co-op at 7500 York Avenue South in Edina. So we had about 100 people, average age was 80. And then last night at the Esquagama Country Club, average age was about 80. But I got it, which is probably my new demographic, by the way. But I gotta tell you what's beautiful about playing for those folks. Nobody is scrolling through their phone mm-hmm. during the concert. <laughs> They're actually listening. What a concept. Well, and, and my, I, we always go went down the last concert my dad went to. 
We went and saw it. Was it, a, it was John Lee Walker? Who is the blues artist? Um, we went down. We were in Port Royal, South Carolina. They're doing a okay. street con- a street concert with with this guy. I mean, he was great, and he's I believe he's in the Blues Hall of Fame. And it could have been Joe Joe Lewis Walker. Joe maybe. Lewis Walker, yes, thank you, Joe Lewis Walker. And he, he he was playing, and my dad, who was you know at that point was somewhat deteriorating in health, you know he, he got up. I mean, he just loved it, and that was one of the things. I I have a house. I mean, you're you gotta be the same exact way. I grew up in a house that had music on. All the time. All the time. It didn't matter. It could be classical. It could be blues. could be rock. could be pop. could be jazz. I had music on. And that was one of the great things I think my dad did is that he gave me an appreciation for music. And, yeah, we had a blast. And that was, by the way, you and I do need to go do that. They have a, se- a festival down there that does blues throughout the summer with that food in South Carolina right on the coast. It is magnificent. Oh, oh you, you call me anytime. <laughs> It'd be great. You know, speaking of. Speaking of food, you and I always get around to talking about our favorite food, yeah. the pasty. Oh, yeah. And today I, I had a doctor's appointment uh, in Duluth that I had to get back to. I spent the night with this uh, woman, a good friend of mine. I stayed at her cabin on the couch. Uh, we grew up from kindergarten to senior high together. And she's restoring an old cabin without electricity on Lake Esquagamuck that she picked up about 10 years ago. So I thought if I get up early enough, I'm going to make it to Paul's Market and Eveleth to get the best pasty on the Iron Range. But I ran a little late. We took a little tour through the woods. So I was going to come back with about a half a dozen pasties. Uh, But as you and I know, Paul's Market is the best pasty on the Iron Range. Hands down, hands down. Not even close. I mean, the, the, and, and it was funny because my, my grandparents, when they're up there in, in Virginia, they said they, they, they moved there. And, of course, they my, my, uh, my on one side of my family was the town doctor, Charles B. Lennon, up there in Virginia. On the other side was uh, Emerson Duncan uh, Sr., who is one of the foremans of one of the mines, worked the mines up there. And they came in there and they said, thank God the Italians got in because the Scandinavians couldn't bake to save themselves. And so they basically <laughs> came in. The Italians came in. Uh, and with that big immigrant group, and they basically they said that there was like almost overnight an immediate change that everything smelt so much better because the food the 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 baking was just this great Italian markets, and they and of course you and I grew up in the range there. I mean the, the Italian markets were everywhere. They were, that was just part of the culture, and yeah that 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 is uh, they they figured out the the pasty crust really well. And Paul's over in Eveleth, they are, they are holding that tradition down. He nails it. You know, it's funny. Uh, our best friends, my mom and dad's, and our families was the Peglicettis. My dad, uh, Elder Metzatot, uh, with John Peglicetti, the Mount Aaron school system. And once a month, they'd have us over for lasagna or spaghetti or whatever yeah. the Italian uh, meal was uh, of that Sunday night. And actually, their their son, Gary, was the drummer in my first band when I was in sixth grade. Gary was in seventh, the positive reaction. And uh, so we'd go over there, and when I was a little kid, I'd ask my mother, I said, Mom, can we become Catholics? And she said, why? And I said, because I love the cooking. <laughs> oh, they were good. Oh, you couldn't deny it. Oh, they, they, we, There was a Scottish recipe called Bannock's. 
which were basically mm-hmm. they were hockey pucks. You know, literally think about right. this fried hard fried bread that was. I, I guess you put syrup on there just so you could suck it off the thing. And and an Italian <laughs> baker basically saw the recipe because you need to fix this, and they made them, and they became kind of a family tradition with my family because they were all of a sudden edible. And so everyone they were like, "Wow, we're wow. making bandits again. This is great." Well, across the street from my dad's office was uh, a mainstay uh, for years. Presty, who was a legend, worked there. Oh, Paul, you're cutting out a little bit there. We're kind of missing you quite a bit here. Oh. I'll tell you what, Patrick. Why don't you why don't you put him down? See if we can you know reconnect with him here really quick and see if we can get him because we lost him pretty good there. Uh, no, this is this is you're listening to a conversation. This is what Paul Metz and I talk about. We just talk about life in, in northern Minnesota and 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 the stuff that we do there. And and absolutely, this is this is you know, it's it's kind of part of the culture that you have up there. And so we we uh, we're good, good good there. Give it a try. All right, good, Paul. You back with us? I'm back. Okay, beautiful. So, no, you were saying, who was across the street from you? Well, it was the Italian bakery, and uh, one of uh, Frank Frank Lepresti, who I think played for the Chicago Blackhawks, legendary goalie from Evelyn. His wife was one of the owners there. But to get back to the Peglicettis, Gary Peglicetti was the drummer in my first band, ended up becoming one of the youngest judges in Minnesota. At the age of 29, he became a... St. Louis County judge based in Virginia until he just retired two years ago. Wow, really? That's amazing. I mean, 29. That's that's a nice run. 29 years old. Yeah, great run. Very well-respected judge. I just bumped into him at Costco a couple months ago. We hadn't seen each other in years. It was a lovely reunion. Have you, you okay? So you were at a Squagma, which by for everyone out there is kind of near Gilbert and Bawabic. You can go up there. You can go there. It's it's a, it's a pretty decent golf course if you if you do like to play the golf. Uh, nine holes there. You can try that out. But alternate holes. Uh, have you? I mean, you're at, you're in Duluth, which we'll get to talk about that because I got some surprising news for you in here in a second. But uh, are you getting much up on the range uh, besides some of these shows? Yeah, I've been getting up. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work on our cabin on Lake Vermilion. Yeah. So, as you know, cabin life, anybody that's got a cabin, you go up there for three days and two and a half days, you're cutting wood, <laughs> mowing lawns, you know, <laughs> fixing things. But, yeah, I let you know, Lake Vermilion is one of the uh, one of the nicest freshwater lakes in the world. So I've been able to get up there. I'll be going up there again uh, next week. But i got to tell you, now, I am a, I'm a worse golfer than Donald Trump, but I'd like to go out once or twice a year. And when I got done with the show last night, a guy named Tim, I don't recall his last name, the president of the country club, I said, who do I got to talk to to do a get a round of golf up here? He gave me his number. So, Matt, you and I are going to the Squadma Country Club. We're going to golf. I imagine you're a little better than I am, but uh, it's on me. I can't wait. We we got to do the Iron Range tour anyway. We've we've been talking about it for years. Well, I'm 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 going to be up there more now because my oldest daughter is going to UMD. So nice. yeah, and then we're we're taking her up there in a few weeks, getting her into school up there. So I will be in uh, on Duluth, and so I'm I'm going to be stopping by and pestering you. I hope you do know this all, all the time. All- <laughs> 
you know, and I and uh, anybody coming up here that uh, was a fan of my music, I've got a beautiful weekly gig on Wednesday nights, happy hour from six to eight, at a place called the Blackwater Lounge, which is right next to the old Hotel Duluth, mm-hmm. two thirty one East Superior Street. And because I'm a good, I'm a teamster because I'm in the music union, so I've talked them into having a, a healthcare happy worker. A happy hour, healthcare workers happy hour. So if you are in the healthcare business, nurse, doctor, EMT, you come down to my show on a Wednesday night from 6 to 8 at the Blackwater Lounge, you get 20% off whatever you're eating or drinking. Sounds once again, Wednesday, 6 to 8, Blackwater Lounge on East Superior. Stop on by for that. Uh, I don't know. I got to take you, I I might have to haul you out to a a Bulldog football game this fall here. I might have to do that. I'd love to. (laughs) So I got to ask you one thing. As a guy that's been living in Duluth now for a while, uh, that that New York Times article, there was an article in Racket here in town that said all it all that you're seeing up on the North Shore is a bunch of Los Angeles people moving up to Duluth. It's not that bad. I mean, there are some people moving there because it's affordable and it's it's a cute town, and you know, you know you're right there on Lake Superior. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous, uh, but it's not like being overrun, is it? Oh no, but it is. You know, CNN about six months ago did uh, a long piece on climate refugees in Duluth. So they had spoken to several people, uh, one lady getting out of the, the uh, wildfires in Northern California, a couple from Phoenix that, uh, uh, you know, getting out of the heat. So you are you are seeing those folks. In fact, there's a just a little bit uh, east of the Glenshean, there's a real shishi development there that is primarily rich folks from California. So they are up here, but... Hey, well, we'll take all comers, but mm-hmm. what's really fun about Duluth is is the tourism. You know, it's one of the finest cities in America in both the, the summer and the winter. So the tourism is great, but there's always, a, especially in the summertime, there is a great vibe in Duluth. Wherever you go, people are having a good time. Mm-hmm. And, and they've got a great outdoor scene here with all the sports. Outdoor Magazine called it one of the greatest uh, outdoor sports cities in America, and it's got a great indoor scene. What you would love, and I will show you around. It's got a really great music scene up here, Matt. Oh no, it's 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 no, yeah, that is known. It's got a really good music scene. Here's two other things I'll say. One, it is still even on a cloudy day, one of the prettiest places you'll ever see. And two, and I'm, this gets back <laughs> back to you know me. I have yet to have a bad meal in Duluth. I'm not saying they don't exist. But every time I've gone up there, numerous restaurants, every time I get food up there, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Well, I'm, I live in the West End now, and uh, which I made the mistake of calling West Duluth on Facebook. And they said, no, West Duluth is 37th past the trestle. But what's really interesting about West Duluth, Matt, like tonight uh, at uh, 6 o'clock, Alan Sparhawk from Lowell, yeah. playing in this Ween tribute band at the Bent Paddle. The Bent Paddles are great. You know, they sell beer all over uh, the Midwest, but they've got their brew house right in the West End. There's a place called the ONC, which is a love, just a wonderful barbecue joint. Great ribs, great chicken. Nice. They also run a place called the Duluth Grill, which is 12 blocks away from me. So it's really fun to watch West uh, the West End of Duluth come around like northeast Minneapolis did when I moved in in 97, bought my duplex in 99, 
where it was a really kind of undiscovered working class part of town, the new restaurants, new music, new bars. And so I kind of feel like I'm reliving that again on the West End. And it's really exciting. It's it's a great town, and I'm actually looking forward to getting up there more often. And I, I really am going to I am going to stop by and visit you here. We've got a lot to talk about. You've got new books out. Uh, we got to talk. We're going to talk about music. We're going to talk about you know the, the article you had in Min Post here, where you you you, you talked lovingly about uh, being the the steward for the Dylan House. We'll talk all about that. Paul Metz are kind enough to join us here to have a longer conversation about well, just stuff in Minnesota. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five nine five two nine four six six two zero five. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM nine fifty. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Paul Metz is kind enough to join us today to talk about, well, anything we really want to at this point. By the way, are you going to do Europe and Vermillion? Are you going to be able to get that hot dog on a boat they got up there now? I've seen that. Uh, I Not in person. I've, I, I've seen photos. But uh, uh, we do have a boat now at the lake. We haven't had one for years. So uh, we'll track that thing down the next time you're up. You know, I miss Chad. Chad. Our, our, uh, our, uh, the Grand Puba of AM950 has a buddy, uh, who's, and so Chad stays about three miles from the Metsa cabin on the cook end of the lake. I missed him at the 4th of July. There's a nice little, uh, bar, uh, restaurant on the lake called The Landing. I called about nine times. The SOB never got back to me, but uh, <laughs> we'll have to have a cocktail. Now there's, they've got good music on the weekends, and then we'll track down that hot dog boat. For sure. <laughs> Just all of a sudden, dawned on me. You do that. Yeah, I bet you there is a parade of boats following the hot dog boat on a Vermillion. Uh, every time it's on out, that's pretty, pretty funny. Uh, I, by the way, I'm going to be up in Cook, probably going to be up in Cook here in about a week or so. Well, we have to definitely stay in touch. I'm actually playing a memorial service on the 5th. I've got in Minneapolis for the afternoon. A very good friend of mine named James Reggae, who is a wonderful uh, abstract expressionist painter passed away after a battle with cancer at 75 he and i were very tight and so i'm going to go down just for the day uh to play that but i'm uh, i do a lot of those quick in and outs i get down to minneapolis i get done when i got to get done but i'll tell you when i'm driving back and i hit that north branch past that exit on my way back to Duluth, I can't get home soon enough. Mm-hmm. I just love Duluth, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I have for years, but living here has just just been a just uh, uh, been a lovely experience. It's, it's a fantastic part of the state. It's a fantastic part of the country. It's it's easy to see that. Um, you and I, the last time we talked, we talked uh, during the holidays. Was we brought in Alphabet Jazz? We talked about that book here. You also had mentioned that you had been staying uh, in a one year residency in the Dillon house there in Duluth. And you talked a lot about this and you talk about this in the Minpo story as well, that, that, you know, you ended up, it ended up being real busy for you while, while staying there. Cause so many people would swing on by. Oh, it was amazing. And they were so, everybody was so kind. Like I said, in the article, and I want to give a shout out to Jim Walsh. who did a, you know, as a yeah. uh, journalist, author, musician, songwriter himself, he did a great job. But, these people, I would always have coffee on the porch in the morning, you know, weather permitting. And at night, maybe something a little stronger. And there was always people coming by to take photos. There would be, 
teenagers from youth camps in Wisconsin to couples in their RV. On my birthday one year, on November 1st, a couple of years ago, there was a seven-person family from Mexico City. And they sang me happy birthday. It could have been better. They came up to see a Vikings game, flew in from Mexico City, then drove up to Duluth to see the uh, Dillon House in Duluth, then up to Hibbing to see the uh, Dillon House in Hibbing. My landlord, Bill Pagel, owns both houses. So what would happen? They would come with their cameras, and they were all very polite. And I would uh, they take pictures of the house. Then I would have them, as part of my renter's duties, sign and date the guest book, and then if I had some of my CDs around, I'd lay a, uh, a record on them. And uh, so essentially, I told my, my buddy, Sonny, you know, I said what I was doing was kind of at that point, it was the Jehovah's Witnesses in reverse. They would show up at the door, and I would give them something. <laughs> oh, by the way, quick story. Jim Walsh is fantastic. I love the article here. Did you ever have anyone try to like take a chunk of the house or anything like that because that sometimes you get people that are like that that well it's like okay it's it's there i, I gotta try to get a, a piece of the awning or something like that no nothing like that there was now if you make uh if you make an appointment of the hibbing house and you can google and track down bill pagel's number uh he'll give you a tour of that the duluth house the zimmermans lived on the second floor uh from about 41 41- when they they started renting in the late 30s and were there till about early 1946 or 47, there was somebody that Bill gave a private tour to that did try to cop something from the second floor. Uh, so he's very, of course, very protective. Now, what's interesting about the second floor of the house? My apartment on the first floor was the exact replica. They were built exactly the same, but the upstairs he has. Uh, Bob's baby chair, Bob's crib, and then he's outfitted it with like a 1937, what's called a Merrimack refrigerator, just these huge refrigerators. It looks like the old Merrimack submarines from the Civil War. Are those the propane ones? Are those the propane fridges? (laughs) I believe they are. I can't imagine who had to carry up that up the back stairs. (laughs) But then they also, he's got a nice old... uh, Radio, you know, it's very circa uh, from the time, from the 40s. So, you know, Bill is, um, when I was thinking about moving to Duluth, uh, let's see, I ended up moving July of 2021, but about a year before, I was thinking about moving to Duluth before I even put my uh, duplex for sale. And I lived in Northeast. So, uh, I called a friend of mine named John Goldfine. The Goldfines had a, a department store that was very well regarded. And the Goldfines are a very well established family in Duluth. And I called John. I said, Hey, I'm thinking about moving up to Duluth. And he said, Call Bill Pagel. And I, I knew Bill. And uh, I've been in the house in Hibbing. And uh, so I called him out of the blue. He said, No, I have a long term renter. Well, then uh, several months later, he called and said, Are you still thinking about moving up to Duluth? I said, Bill, I just put my house for sale. So he said, uh, when are you coming up? I said, end of June. He goes, the renter's moving out in June. So it was perfect timing for me to move in. And so while I was there, as the Men Post article said, I finished three books there. I finished uh, Alphabet Jazz. I finished a book I co-wrote with Rick Shevchik called Blood in the Tracks, the Minnesota Musicians Behind Dylan's Masterpiece 
which is coming out on September 12th. Mm-hmm. In fact, on after probably a, a book signing, a uh, little music gig at the Electric Theater. Uh, re-released my autobiography, Blue Guitar Highway, that the University of Minnesota putting out blood in the tracks. They re-released that in paperback. It's you know, there was another. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Paul. Paul, we're gonna. What we're gonna do is you're cutting out a lot here again. But this is what I want you to come back. Let's come back. We'll get a better connection here. I want to talk about all these books here because, dear Lord, man, have you been busy? <laughs> you have been writing like crazy. And yeah, we, we'll talk about the books. Uh, obviously, last time we talked about Alphabet Jazz, but Bob Dylan in Minnesota, Troubadour Tales from Duluth, Hibbing, and Dinkytown, and as well, Blood in the Tracks. Uh, we'll talk about both of those books when we do come on back. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Paul Metz, kind enough to join us for a good chunk of the hour today, talking about all sorts of things, including three books. Dude, man, I, I've tried to thought about writing a book. I couldn't even like finish the first page. You, you wrote three in a year. You worked with other people, but you still, my goodness, my friend. Well, it was fun because those uh, three Dylan-related books, I was writing it while I was living in Dylan's mm-hmm. house, so it couldn't have been more inspiring. Now, like I said, we talked alphabet jazz at the holidays. That's been how's that been going? Been, I know you did a lot of touring around with that. Yeah, it's been going good. It can be ordered on Amazon, and you can pre-order Blood in the Tracks. You can also order uh, my autobiography, Blue Guitar Highway. So, yeah, I've had a busy year. It's, for a guy that really makes his living playing guitar. I've had a busy year writing books, for sure. <laughs> Bob Dylan in Minnesota, Troubadour Tales from Duluth, Hibbing, and Dinkytown. I've noticed on your uh, Facebook and pages that you've they're, they're, these guys are out there touring around uh, talking about the book a lot already, Is correct? Yeah, two of the guys, Mark Burkansky and Matt Steichen, who there was four co-authors from Minnesota. Uh, those two, myself and a guy named Ed Newman, who writes a great blog up here called Enemens Territory. And uh, Keith Miles wrote a book uh, about Dylan in London, Troubadour Tales, Dylan in New York. And then he pretty much farmed it out. He had never been to Minnesota. Somehow he tracked us down, and we all contributed. I wrote the foreword to Dylan in Minnesota, and then I wanted to make sure we included a piece on B.J. Ralston, who was Dylan's English and Humanities teacher. I had the pleasure of meeting B.J. several times, and I say in the book, and it's true, you can draw a direct line from those classes with B.J. Walson to Dylan's 2016 Nobel Prize for Literature that uh, that Bob got. That direct line goes from B.J. Walson at Hibbing High School to uh, the Nobel Prize. How many, isn't it amazing how many times you hear that story of a kid going through school, one teacher just resonates – and it, it it ends up, you know, not only, you know, Bob Dylan, I remember reading about someone who was who worked for NASA, who worked on uh, some of the, the, the space program there. And he, he never had done anything with math until one teacher said, I think you're pretty good at this stuff. And that started their career down that, that thing. It, I just we, we do not appreciate teachers as much as we need to. No, you know, I've been saying for years, Matt, double the double the pay of cops. Give them, you know, they get eight hundred hours of training, give them 4,000 hours, double their pay, double all teachers' pay, period. Just do it. <laughs> um, 
we were very fortunate in St. Louis County to have just an incredible school system. And I can name every English teacher I had from 7th through 12th grade. What was interesting for me, Matt, I went up and interviewed B.J. Ralston in his living room. I called my retired English teacher, Tom Moeller, and because uh, uh, he was in videography after teaching. And I said, I want to do an interview with B.J. Ralston, which people can find on YouTube. Just Google Paul Metzow and B.J. Ralston, R-O-L-F-Z-E-N. And my teacher, Tom Moeller, said, I used to take what, uh, English from BJ at Hibbing Community College. I wanted to go into coaching and athletics. BJ was such an influence on him. He ended up getting his degree in English from St. John's University. And, uh, so I felt like I kind of got some of BJ's magic secondhand, but you're absolutely right. The importance of teachers. Uh, when you're with with Bob Dylan in Minnesota, Troubadour or Tales from Duluth, Hibbing, and Dinkytown, that's really kind of just you know that's the focus. There is is talking about those early days and, and the the inspiration that he got from that that area. Correct? Yes. Yeah, and it talks about his time. It says some history of his family migrating from Russia, and then uh, you know it's very important time not only in the, the Iron Range in Duluth uh, and in Hibbing, of course. Uh, but his time in Dickytown, which was very important, because when he came down from Hibbing, he enrolled in the University of Minnesota. Whether or not he really went to any classes, nobody's really for sure. <laughs> but he fell in with the Dickytown, kind of the Bohemian enclave there, and was tuned into, uh, you know, Allen Skinberg, all the great poets, Ginsburg, Corso, Jack Kerouac. Yeah. Then also some of all the great folk and blues musicians like the young Tony Glover, Spider J. Kerner, Bill Hinckley and Judy Larson and Dave Snaker Ray, who I am fortunate when down Minneapolis in seventy eight, I got to be very good friends and with all of those people as well. So I'm fortunate in my life not that I was trying to ape Dylan's journey, but just geographically I've ended up in, in, in the same places that he was, so I had been able to garner a lot of those same influences that I hold very near and dear to my heart. So you got that book, then talk about Blood in the Tracks. Now, you said, uh, I believe you said that this book is coming out in September, correct? September 12th from the University of Minnesota Press. What I had done, it goes back actually to 2001. I produced the Million Dollar Bash Dylan's 60th birthday party at First Avenue. We had 40 bands on the stages, 7th Street Entry and First Avenue. Yeah. And uh, Curtis A. and, and uh, uh, geez, that all different kinds of musicians played. And we, I called Kevin Odegaard, who played guitar on Tangled Up in Blue, and I said, what are the chances of putting together the studio band from Blood on the traps who hadn't been together since 1974. He made some phone calls, called me two days later. We got five of the six guys that played on the record. So they performed all five songs from the record wow. uh, that, they, that they performed on. And believe me, it was pure magic that night. What is also interesting, Bones had his farm Minneapolis. My friend Larry Keegan, who was a childhood friend of about and he almost made it in. Larry said it's really a cool scene that we had to just wait for him. So Bob didn't show up. 
I can't imagine that place would have taken off to outer space had Bob shown up. But as it turned out, uh, we tied the atmosphere with that collection of musicians. Well, yeah, I will. Well, and by the way, I will say your, your phone is kind of once again uh, cutting out a little bit here. Uh, but I mean, uh, you know, it, it, the, the point we kind of get the point there about that. It just, uh, it, it, you know, you get the opportunity. I mean, you're, you're talking, you know, it's yeah. And, and one of the things that I, I like talking about with with Paul is the studio musician element of it. That the you know, if you're a musician like Paul Metza. You know, you you think about the studio. You think about the studio musicians that are involved in this, and the fact is that the studio musicians themselves they might not be recognizable names, but if you if you if you if you know maybe there there are about a hundred albums made where everyone know everyone who's in music that knows music knows exactly who every studio musician was on that album and that that's one of the things that's amazing and that, and and it's the fact that you were able to pull them all together and like I say it would have been nuts if Dylan would have shown up but the fact that you were able to pull them all together i mean just for you as a fan of music that that's got to be incredibly intimidating awe-inspiring i don't know what the word would be but it just got to be nuts well it it was something that really had to be done now, Kevin Odegaard, who's become a very good friend of mine, uh, we just recently did an interview with Soundwaves magazine, a New, New England-based monthly. He was so kind to me because he credits me with restarting their campaign to finally get recognition for playing on that record. So my, I had done a lot of the interviews with all of the musicians that played on that record. So when... More Blood, More Tracks came out, six CD set of outtakes from those sessions. The musicians in 2018 finally got their name on the reissue, and Odegaard is nice enough to say, um, you know, he, he recognized I tried to save the Guthrie Theater for seven years. He goes, that might not have happened. He goes, we can certainly take credit for helping reignite the flame and get the passion together to finally get our names on that record. So if that's the only thing I do in life, I'd be happy with that, Matt. Well, and you, you, you've done a lot, dude. And, and the fact that you're you're documenting this, what you're doing here with all your work and your music as well is making sure that tradition – I mean, it, there's a lot of artists that are kind of one-time hits and that's it kind of the, the legacy fades out. And the reality is, is I think – you talk about you know, and, and Dylan what was it Dylan said that he was you know his his musical style is Minnesota the North Dakota sort of thing, you know you, there is a definitive style and personality and presence that comes from the Northland which Dylan was able to harness and I think because no one realized where it was coming from it was able to to really resonate with so many people because it spoke to so many people considering the nature of the communities that were up there. And I and I think that if we're not preserving that, I think that 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 is you know, and and even when you get like to blood in the tracks, it's just you you've got to preserve all this because if it's gone, when it's gone, it it will be gone. And and so I think it's commendable that you're doing as much work here as you can to preserve as much of this legacy. Well, you know, I I mean, I've been as I say in that that article that Walsh did. I used to hitchhike over to Hibbing from Virginia, which is twenty two miles away where I grew up. To stand in front of that house and go, the man that walked out of those doors as a young man was starting to change American culture. And I look at Bob Dylan as an, you know, 
first and foremost an Iron Ranger. There is no one that has a greater work ethic than Bob Dylan. Most miners even retire in their 60s. Dylan just got done with a European tour at 82 years old. And then what I, I also said in the previous interview in the Duluth News Tribune, I said, for God's sakes, and now these days he's welding, I said, and it doesn't get any more iron range than that. <laughs> Well, so, okay, you you hitchhiked from Virginia. I, I, I think we're lucky you're alive. You, you, how often did you do that hitchhike from Virginia to Hibbing? Well, you know, when I was in my teens, that's what you did. Before you got a driver's license, you hitchhiked from town to town. You chased women. You'd go see a football game. You'd go, well, occasionally you'd see a hockey game. You didn't really want to hitchhike in the winter. But uh, it was really, you know, as you know, it was a much gentler time. <laughs> and uh, uh, But it was really fun uh, to go over. I've actually house-sat uh, a fellow named Greg French, who recently passed away, may he rest in peace, owned the house. He came up to me at a gig I was doing in Virginia, said, I think you'd like to meet me. And I said, why is that? Because I just bought Bob Dylan's house in Hibbing. I said, Greg French, I'm Paul Metzer. When can I come over? <laughs> so he and his wife that summer went on a vacation. So I was able to house set uh, in the basement where one used to rehearse uh, for about four days. And it was crazy because I'd hit the bars at night and I'd come home. I'd go down to the basement to crash. And you'd hear these windows slam, slamming and doors slamming. I swear to God, the ghosts that were in that house when Dylan was a teenager were, were still there. Now, what's also interesting about Hibbing, because you're a bit of an Iron Ranger yourself, yeah. you can walk around that neighborhood, yeah. and you were right by Kevin McHale's house, yes. right by Gino Pellucci's house, right by Vincent Bugliosi's house. Vincent lived right next to the high school, and of course, Vincent Bugliosi was the lawyer who prosecuted Charles Manson. Now, let's not forget Roger Maris, who was born in Hibbing. Yeah. And then another singer who who a lot of our listeners would know, Gary Puckett from Gary Puckett, the Union Gap, yeah. grew up on Side Lake. Well, and I mean, and that's all there. That's what about two blocks off the the high school? I mean, it's I, I mean, I, I mean yeah. you know, they're all it's it's insane. You go up there, you would not believe as many people that are as famous came from that one three or four block square area. It's in nuts. Yeah, it's just incredible. And getting back, my uh, English teacher Tom Moeller, he hired me to play. For Tony Perpich and the Perpetones. <laughs> Tony was an accordion player. Okay. Was, it, was that related to Rudy Perpich? First cousin. Oh, God. Because <laughs> so, the Perpiches oh. used to live right down the road from us, our family down on Esquagama. And so we knew the Perpiches yeah, there. So, okay. Yeah, so Tony was Rudy's best man at his wedding, and Rudy was best man at Tony's wedding. So back when I was in ninth grade, I played bass with Tony Perkins and the Perkins and the first time we played VFWs and Union Halls and the Armory. And then we played these nightclubs. So I got to see where mom and dad would dress up and go out to on the weekend. So I fell in love with nightclubs and saloons at a very young age. Well, it's <laughs> well, and they're fun. Up there, they're fun. Well, I mean, my gosh, yeah. but Wabick had the bar sauna for many years. I'd kill to have that sucker <laughs> still open. That'd be a hoot. So, all right. Uh, okay, so we got to run through all this stuff here. Uh, first of all, um, Bob Dylan in Minnesota, Troubadour Tales from Duluth, Hibbing, and Dinkytown. That one has, is out right now. You did the preface for it, correct? 
That's correct. Then I did the piece on BJ Walsh. Uh, Alphabet Jazz, you and I talked about that. That's out. That's selling well. You can find it at your favorite booksellers, correct? No, it's actually just getting at Amazon. At Amazon. Uh, I just didn't have the wherewithal to do it myself. But uh, Amazon, be back to you in three days. All right. No problem. Uh, you, you, I did hear you. You cut out a little bit earlier. Um, uh, we, we, I did hear you say something that they're reissuing your story, your book. Blue Guitar Highway, which was an interesting backstory. I tried to get into the uh, University of Minnesota Music School. I was taking guitar lessons in Duluth with a guy named Robert Wander. I took classical guitar lessons for two years. So when I went down fall of 78 to do my audition for the U of M Music School, I passed my playing exam, but flunked my theory exam. I got a letter from the U of M. I wish I still had it. I'm reviewing your test scores. I highly recommend you So it was great uh, enthusiasm when I received the phone call from them in 2011, the University of Minnesota Press, the same university that refused me entrance into their music school, asked me if I wanted to write a book about 30 years in the music business. Um, and then the other thing to that, Matt, I think our teacher, Robert Wander, was a great songwriter, musician, rapper named Dessa Darling. Okay. Dessa Darling? Yeah. Okay. I took, yeah, guitar lessons from her dad. You took guitar lessons from Dessa's dad? Yeah. Okay. We, okay. We've come for. We've done purpiches. We've got Dessa now tied in. It's just this is Minnesota. This is this. God, I love. I love chatting with you, my friend. Uh, Blood in the tracks. I got to mention this really quick because we got to get to a break. And we got a weather thing here. Uh, Blood in the tracks that comes out once again twelfth of September. Twelfth of September. The fetus. Not long after that. Uh, and then Wednesday at the Blackwater Lounge in East Superior up in Duluth. Every Wednesday, 6 to 8, you can go catch Paul up there. And I highly recommend you do. You'll have a good time with that. Uh, and, of course, uh, of course, you get uh, uh, Wall of Power Radio Hour, 6 p.m. on Saturday nights here. Paul, uh, I will be ch- chatting with you about uh, seeing you over the next few weeks. Okay, my friend? Great. And people can go to paulmetzer.com find out all the above. Thanks, Matt. I so enjoy speaking with you. You are one of my favorite guests ever. It's a privilege to have you on. It is an absolute honor. All my best, my friend, and I'll talk to you soon, okay? Okay, brother. Have a good weekend.